Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. We're going to be in chapter 6, so um, turn on your Bible or open your Bible or technical difficulties. Let's see here. That's not happened to me before. Okay, so mine literally just went dead and it has 100% charge. So um, we'll rethink that Apple investment a little later on. So let me go with the same notes you have. Book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. Let me read to you this morning. The book of Acts, what it means To echo Jesus is the title of my sermon this morning. We're going to read about a man named Stephen. Have any of you heard of him? You're probably most famous uh, to you for the end of his life, right? He's the first martyr of the church. We're not going to get that deep into the story. They ask him a question at the end or during chapter 6 that he takes almost an entire chapter to answer. So we're not going to cram all that into this morning. But let me read to you from Acts chapter 6. If you remember, this is a point in the season of the life of the church where they are growing really fast. We hear three or four times already that the church started with 3,100 people, and then it grew to over 5,000 men, and that it kept growing and growing and growing. Three or four more times we hear that it grew. Uh, Some historians guesstimate about one out of every five people in Jerusalem at this time had become converted Christians. So the church is enjoying unprecedented growth, but they're in one city. They're primarily one ethnicity at this point. They're almost all entirely Jews. And this was not Jesus' assignment to the apostles. He said, I want you to tell people all over the world about the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And so far for the first few years, they had literally told almost everybody in the city. In fact, even their, you know, even the people who didn't like them, the priests said, you filled this whole city with this story about Jesus, which is a backhanded compliment. So here, uh, Luke actually zeroes in on one man by the name of Stephen, and we're just going to read a little bit um, at the beginning of this critical part in the history of the church. Verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Verse 11. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high school stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. And so that ends chapter 6, and then Stephen gets up his, opens up his mouth to speak, and we'll start looking at that next week. I've been here, as I said to you, since 2012 as the pastor, and as I talk to my neighbors and friends that I meet in the community, um, 
and just get to know them, build relationships. Inevitably, what I do and, and how I worship comes into the conversation. And one of the most frequently asked questions I get about our church is, what does the name of our church mean? We're Echo Community Church. They understand community and church, but Echo is an uncommon title to be attached to a church. And so I get asked, you know, what does that mean? Is it an acronym? Um, where did you guys come up with that? How do you select the name? And the truth of the matter is, I can't take credit for the name. I didn't come up with it. Uh, the founding pastor of Echo Community Church and his launch team and, and, uh, and the leadership team of Trinity who put Echo in motion and planted Echo, started Echo, they came up with the name. And so when I moved here, I had the same question and had to start really understanding who we are and where we came from and what this church was all about. And uh, the more that I looked at that word, I recognized, number one, it's kind of abstract. I'm a concrete guy, and it's abstract. And at first, it sends me for a loop because I like, you know, I want the refrigerator to be called refrigerator. I, you know, I like things that are named after exactly what they are. So it took me a minute, but, you know, the more that I studied and understood the thought process behind the name, I think it's brilliant because what it does is it supplies an image or an analogy for us to understand what being a disciple is and what making a disciple is. Echo can be a noun or a verb. I know you didn't think you were getting a grammar lesson this morning, but here we are. It can be a noun or a verb. And, and most of us know what an echo is. You, need to, you have an original sound, and then you have diminishing but accurate repetitions, reflections of that sound. It can be a noun, I heard the echo, or it can be a verb. I echo his sentiment. I echo his feelings on the matter. And I don't know if there is a better analogy to describe exactly what is at the heart of being and making disciples. Our mission is that we're passionately committed about being and making disciples. When people ask, well, what is your church about? What do you do? How do you get it done? I say we are all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's who we are, and it's what we do. That's what we're after. Well, what is that? And then this word, it's like an echo. Jesus is our original sound. And the invitation, the journey of a Christian is to become as accurate of an echo of Jesus as he can help us to be. That's what it is. The goal of being a Christian, listen to me very carefully. The goal of being a Christian is not to be a better you, it's to be a more accurate him. Do you hear me? Why am I saying this this morning? Because I want to expose a statement that I'm getting more and more and more troubled by because I hear it gaining traction in the church, and this statement is becoming a substitute for discipleship. In fact, I've even heard it here in some of our brainstorming meetings. It's starting to bubble up. Have you heard this phrase? Just become a, the best version of yourself that you can be. How many of you have heard that phrase? Multi-million dollar selling book. Just be the best version of yourself you can be. And you know what? It sounds really good. And it sounds achievable, but there's some problems with this statement. First of all, it says, if you just look at your, if you were a video game character, look at all your ratings. You might be, out of 100, you might be a 22 on kindness. You might be an 83 on generosity. You might be a 91 on, on intelligence. Look at all your ratings and look inside yourself. You're not going to be 100 on everything. You might not be 100 on everything. That's okay. Just move, just Discipline yourself to being the best possible in each of those categories as you can be, and then you'll be, or you'll achieve what? Successful? You'll be acceptable? You can feel good about yourself? People will like you better? I don't know. 
But basically what it's saying is you might not be very good at kindness. That's okay. Just do the best you can. You might not be very good in the area of work ethic. That's all right. Just be the best version of yourself that you can be. Because if you just look inside and work really, really, really hard, you can be the best you you can possibly be. And I've heard this start to creep into church. And I hear people say, listen, you might not be feeling kind today. Just be the most kind that you can be. Here's news for you. Even if you could do this successfully, if you could somehow maximize all of your attributes, that still wouldn't be good enough for our God to accept us. And I want you to know that being the best version of yourself, it's a great phrase. Probably in some watered-down versions, it has some application. It is the exact opposite of discipleship, and that's why it's so dangerous. Discipleship says... I decrease so he can increase. Discipleship says, I'm going to be the closest walk. I'm going to be as close to Jesus as I can be. This other version says, I'm going to be the best me that I can be. One of them says, ultimate achievement in life is being the best I can make myself. The other one is saying, it's not about me making myself more me. It's me making myself more him. Do you understand the difference between echoing Jesus, and being the best possible you you can be. Do you see it, Echo? Our mission is not to help you be the best possible you you can be in the arena of kindness. I want to encourage you to adopt the kindness of Jesus and use it as if it were your very own. I don't want to just teach you to be the most loving you you can be. I want you to understand that the only source of true lasting love is Jesus Christ. And I want you to walk as close to him as you can be and use the love of Jesus as if it were your very own and give it away. So you can be less me and more him. That's what discipleship looks like. Discipleship is how close am I moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus what direction am I moving and at what rate and at what, rep, at what pace? So what we're trying to do here in discipleship, each of us endeavors to be an echo of Jesus, to echo his thinking, to echo his character, to echo his behavior, to echo his ideas, to echo his imagination, to echo everything about who Jesus is. And there is no shortcut to that other than drawing close to him and being with him, loving him, knowing him, spending time with him. Stephen echoed Jesus Christ in so many ways. One of the most striking examples of what theologians would call a Christ figure in the Bible. And if he is an example that the Bible provides to us, he can help us answer some questions like, well, pastor, what should I expect in my journey of echoing Jesus? How do I do that? How do I know if I'm on the right track? Fortunately, the Bible provides for us men and women over several centuries that went after God and echoed, echoed Jesus, became like him. Now, notice you never become the original sound. Jesus is the original sound. We don't become Jesus. We become like Jesus. And so if we just look closely at his story this morning, in the 11 minutes I have left, there's just a couple things that he shows us in these couple paragraphs that starts to put some application to what it means to echo Jesus. Let me give you all four of these statements right out of the gate, okay? Let me give you all four of these statements. What does it mean to echo Jesus? And I broke it down in parentheses, the verses you can go back to and look at this if I can't teach this in its fullest extent this morning. What does it mean, number one? It means that if I'm going to echo Jesus, it means 
I am willing and able to communicate the truth of the gospel with power, wisdom, and grace. It means you are willing. That means you want to. And it means you are able. It means you have the skills and the ability to put words to what you believe in real conversations with real people. That's what this means. And it means that you're able to communicate it with this unique combination of strength with wisdom and also grace. Power and grace are two interesting words that seem to not always go together. Power means to be very strong. Grace means to be very sweet. And wisdom is the, the ability to tell the difference of when you really need to push on the power side and when you need to push on the grace side. I want you to know that the gospel is good. What's the second word? It's good news. Thank you, one of you that got this. What is the gospel? It's good news. That means there's information and truth and facts attached to the gospel. And you and I need to know what these things are for ourselves and not just borrow them from someone else. It's good news. So if you're going to echo Jesus and if you're going to move along your discipleship jersey, you have to understand that there comes a point in your life where you have to say, I need to be able to give a clear explanation and reason for why I have hope in Jesus Christ. Number two, what else does it mean? It means I do not allow public opinion to shift my focus on God or his church. You'll see in this story very clearly that public opinion in the city of Jerusalem shifted from chapter 2 where it said they enjoyed the favor of the whole city to chapter 6 where it says when they started the smear campaign against Stephen, it roused the public against them. Jesus knew what it was like to be at the top of the popularity pyramid. And then in John chapter 6, and then again uh, at his triumphal entry to the cross, he also saw his popularity, his Q rating, it just plummeted twice. And yet both in Stephen and in Jesus, even when public opinion soured, they were just as committed to being obedient to God's call in their life to spread the message of the kingdom of God as they were when they were on the top of the popularity totem pole. Number three. If it means to be, follow Jesus, it means I might be accused of the same things Jesus was accused of. What do you mean by that? In plain language, it means that if you follow Jesus, you just need to expect that sometimes you're going to do some really good, godly things that people will twist and try and make them look negative and destructive. The good things you do for the Lord and the good things you take for people when you follow Jesus, it means people might take it and twist it and make it look like something you intended to do right was actually nefarious on your part. Number four. The very end of this chapter. If I echo Jesus, it means I can look forward to experiencing peace in Christ even when I'm falsely accused. Or when popular opinion is not on my side. A lot of stuff here. I can experience peace in Christ even when falsely accused or when popular opinion is not on my side. Let me just put a little meat at least on the first point. Go back to that first point again. I'm willing and able to communicate the truth of the gospel with power and wisdom and grace. We only know a little bit about Stephen at this point. We met him last week. And uh, the first thing we found out about Stephen is that he's a Christian. By ethnicity, he's a Jew. And even more specifically, he's a Hellenist Jew. He was likely the product or born into a Jewish family who wasn't living in Jerusalem or Judea, but that earlier at some point when they were conquered or persecuted, they actually were carried off or moved into a foreign land, put down roots there, Grew up there being faithful to practice Judaism, being faithful to God, but growing up in a largely Greek culture. 
And so when these people would have come back to Jerusalem for Passover, especially this, you know, when the church was getting started, Stephen was likely part of a group that came back to the city of Jerusalem for Passover and was part of that crowd that was there when Christianity was launched. Got saved, followed Jesus, adopted Christianity, and then relocated to Jerusalem and became an active part of the church. That's how he got there. We also learned last week that he was thought of extremely highly in this megachurch. Keep in mind, this church is probably between, probably in the area of maybe 20,000 people strong at this point. And last week we talked about their first business meeting with an election that they had. And they held an election in the church by vote uh, to pick people to be on a committee. The food pantry committee. Which I realize all of you, that is the thing you would want to do in a church. You want to be on a committee and you want to lead the food pantry. Okay, maybe not the highest you know, goal that most people would have. But in all, out of these thousands and thousands and thousands of people, they all came together and said, these are the seven men that we want. And the first name on the list, Stephen. He's thought of highly by his church. He had a reputation for being filled with the Holy Spirit, for being full of grace, for being full of power or strength, which is interesting. On the one hand, he had a reputation for being really, really, really strong in his faith and being really, really, really sweet. He was strong and he was sweet at the same time. We also learn uh, that he was very wise. And so these are deep character traits that he had. And we find out in the beginning of this chapter that even though he got a job, well, not a job, he got a, a servant leadership role in his church as the, the, one of the chair people of a big feeding ministry, that was his ministry, but he never gave up what his passion was. You know what his passion was? His passion was to tell people about Jesus, to tell people about the gospel. And we find out that even though he was active in this, this feeding ministry, taking care of the widows, you know what he was doing in his downtime? There was a local synagogue of Jews that he had a connection with. And he would go there regularly and he would teach them about Jesus. He would teach them about the law and the prophets and the scriptures. And what we find out was he was not tearing down the temple. He was not tearing down Moses. He was not tearing down the law. All he was doing was the same thing Jesus was doing. He was pointing out their contradictions and their incorrect interpretations of the temple and the law and the prophets. And he was teaching them that that those things were gifts of God that were given to the Jewish people. But now they've been superseded and fulfilled. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Jesus didn't come to tear down Moses, but he's greater than Moses. He supersedes Moses. He's not saying the temple is a terrible thing, but he's saying the old model of the temple was all the people would gather in one spot to come to God. And now through Jesus, God can go to all people. This was his teaching. He was bold. He was strong. But you know what the core of his message sounded like in the ears of this synagogue? It sounded like his teaching was this. You're wrong. You're wrong and you're wrong. You're wrong about what you believe about Moses. You're wrong about what you believe about the law and the prophets and the temple and even what you believe about God. You're wrong in what you believe. And not only that, but every person you've ever loved and trusted to teach you these things is a little bit off. And you know, that's not an easy message to hear. And they didn't like hearing it. But what's even more amazing to me is that the church, or not the church, the synagogue, these really well-educated people were debating with Stephen. And the Bible says they could not overcome the spirit with, with, he, with which he spoke 
or the power with which he spoke. You know what that means? It means they could not out-debate and out-maneuver him, even though they disagreed with him. And what set him apart was not that he was more educated, not that he was better book-read, not that he had more seminary, because he didn't have seminary. What did he have? He had the Old Testament scriptures and the teaching of the apostles. That's what he had. And you know what he must have done? He must have, like Acts said, he must have devoted himself to pouring over the Scriptures, to wrestling with the Scriptures, to reading them over and over and over again until the point where those Scriptures started reading him. And they started asking him questions. And he sat under the teaching of the apostles, and he took it all in, and he drunk it all in, and he thought about it and thought about it and thought about the Gospel of Jesus until the power of the Gospel took him up, and it was that part of his life that they could not outmaneuver he had a power and a spirit about which he spoke that was greater than the sum of education where is that in the life of christians today where is that hunger to know the bible where is that passion to dig in and get to the bottom of the story for ourselves? where is that deep appetite in you to really listen to the invitation of jesus to just come apart and dig into knowing him and knowing his word and knowing the gospel you see stephen didn't come with a bunch of memorized arguments he came in the spirit and the power of god that was the result of time that he spent in the presence of the lord studying the scriptures and listening to the apostles and i see that so absent today I wonder how many of us, if I asked you in 30 seconds, can you just explain the gospel to me? In a minute, could you tell me five things that are absolutely true about God that are revealed to us in the Bible? Could you tell me what sin is? Could you tell me what it means to confess, to repent? What do we mean by the term to be saved? And I think you know like I do, if I asked 200 people, we'd probably have at least 75 different answers. And if, here's the thing, if Echo Community Church is going to be good at making disciples, we can't have 75 different answers to the basics of the Bible. And what is preventing you from being more confident in that? Well, I'm not a speaker. That's Sorry, sorry you don't get an exemption. <laughs> If you're going to follow Jesus, we are called to know the truth about what we believe. If you can't explain it to somebody else, how do you believe it for yourself? Do you know why I think this is becoming a lost art? It's because we've become more comfortable adopting other people's opinions than we are about actually doing the first-hand investigation for ourselves. We live in a society that is filled with hot takes and social media, and we can like and we can follow. And it's become the mainstream, oh, okay, the mainstream media learned a long time ago, about 60 years ago actually, that the American public is content to have a story told to them and believe it without ever having read it, researched it, or do it on their own. They learned this back with the Kennedy assassination, okay? They learned that. I'm not in, this is not a conspiracy theory. Just go back and do your history work. Let me prove it to you. How many people do you think have even read the Constitution? read the Bill of Rights, read the Declaration of Independence, read some of our founding documents. You've got all kinds of people with all kinds of opinions that aren't even based on real fact. It's based on something they heard from somebody and they were too lazy to look it up for themselves. We have become a people who cobble together a mosaic of other people's opinions and we got all excited about it, but the truth is we haven't even, we're just trusting what someone else told us and we're adopting rather than owning what we believe. You can't get away with that when it comes to the gospel. There is no substitute 
I mean, you could, listen, I watch it in church. People customize Christianity all the time. Well, I like Charles Stanley's, Stanley's approach on this, and I like Creflo Dollar's approach on that, and I like fill in the blank. And we say, you know what, I like this church about 75% of what they believe. The other 25%, I just pick and choose. I'm going to take this person's stance on this because, you know, I agree with it. Have you done the work? Have you actually sat down with the Bible and said, God, I want to know you. I want to know the facts. It's great to know what other people say about it, but I want to know you and I want to be devoted to your teaching. If you want to echo Jesus, you can't just parrot popular opinion. You have to know him for yourself. You have to be devoted to understanding and studying the Bible. That's why I believe in a ministry like the Gideons. You know our values. Number one, the Bible trumps everything. Okay? It's the Bible. It is ultimate truth. And I want to encourage you this morning, in your discipleship journey, I need us to be a church that absolutely goes after Jesus, that wants to understand the truth of the gospel. And there's no shame in saying I can't explain it. All that means is you're being honest about the next step of your discipleship journey. Pastor, I have a hard time putting words to what it means to tell people about the gospel. No problem. We'll help you. I have a hard time you know, uh, I don't know that I can answer all those questions today. Does it mean that I'm not saved? Not at all. It just means you're an honest believer who says, God has shown me the next step in my discipleship journey. Because that's what discipleship is, guys. It's a next step and another step and another step and another step of moving away from who I was without Christ and moving into being just like Christ. And Stephen shows us. Here's a guy, it wasn't his education. It wasn't because he read Contagious Christian, wasn't written yet. He didn't go through a 30-week course. He just had a passion for Jesus. And the more he got into the Bible, the more it fired him up. The more he got in the Bible, the more confident he was in what he believed. The more that he studied and sat under good, solid teaching, the more uh, motivated he was to talk to people who didn't know the truth about Jesus. I'm out of time. So you're going to have to do the rest of the Bible study for yourself. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Number two, I do not allow public opinion to shift my focus on God or his kingdom. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, you remember John chapter, it's, it's this weird verse, I, I remember it because it's John 6, 66, because it's that, that 666 thing. And that verse says, from that point, many of his disciples deserted him and followed him no more. He was really popular. Thousands of people were coming to him all the time. And then, he's, then he makes this teaching they didn't like about, he's like, hey, look, if you don't eat my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part with me. And it says from that point, many of the disciples deserted and followed him. His popularity rating in an hour went from thousands of people back down to 12 again. And he asked the 12, he's like, do you want to go too? And their answer was unique. They didn't even say yes or no. Uh, It would be nice if they said, no, Jesus, we're staying with you. Peter says, where else are we going to go? He's pretty much saying, I don't know what you're saying either, Jesus. I don't get it. He hadn't started teaching plainly yet. He was talking about eating flesh and drinking blood which you and I maybe aren't shocked by it, but put yourself back there 2,000 years ago. This guy is going along doing miracles, and all of a sudden he's saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood to have part of me. Many of us would have left too. (laughs) Cannibalism? No thanks. I'm all for eating the fish and the bread, but not the flesh and the blood. Doesn't work. There's another sermon in that, but I'm I'm not into that, right? His popularity plummets. He just keeps on keeping on for the Lord, just as strong as he did when he had thousands. What about Passion Week? Jesus on Palm Sunday, right? That's the service we all like. Lots of music, palm fronds everywhere, Easter eggs. Joy, Jesus comes in the city. Thousands of people are saying, we're glad you came. And then a week later, the same people say, "Uh, we'll have Barabbas, please. Kill him. In a week. 
Stephen followed Jesus, embodied Jesus' behavior, and wouldn't you expect that he gets treated the same way? Same thing. He's just teaching what Jesus taught, the way Jesus taught it to the people he taught it. And they turned on him too, but he didn't back down. Number three, I may be accused of the same things that Jesus was accused of. I wish I could unpack this because this is really rich. If you actually go through this story in slow motion and then flip back to Matthew chapter 26, it's almost like a, the same account. Look look at which, which group of people was Jesus brought before and who was Stephen brought before. What was Jesus accused of, right? Blasphemy, saying he was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. What is Stephen accused of? The same stuff. Blasphemy against God, blasphemy against Moses, blasphemy against the scriptures, blasphemy against the temple, the prophets. If you want to really tick off Jews back in this day, you went off of, you went, you, those are the things they held the most dear. God, Moses, the prophets, the scriptures, and the temple. And they just tilt his teaching by a little bit and they accuse Stephen of doing all the same things they accused Jesus of doing just a few years earlier. All of the same things. In fact, at the very end of Jesus' life, what does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Do you know what Stephen's last words were? Don't hold this sin against the people that are killing me right now. You see how closely he echoed Jesus in life and in death? If you're going to follow Jesus, understand there's going to be times, and you might even be in this situation today where you are doing something and you are 100% in the right, 100%. Your case is ironclad. But the enemy is using people to tilt that and smear it just by a little bit and make it look like you're actually doing something destructive. Trust in Jesus. He's working something out for your good. Number four. We'll close with this again. I experience peace in Christ even when falsely accused or when popular opinion is not on my side. The last image we get in this chapter is Stephen's face looks like what? Remember? What does it look like? It shines like an angel, which is very interesting. The same guy they accuse of hating Moses. They would have known the scriptures. You remember back in Exodus, like 32, 33, I think it's 33. Moses comes down from being on the mountaintop with Jesus. And what's going on with his face? It's glowing. Shining so bright that he actually had to do what? Has to put a veil over his face, which there's a whole lot of typology there about the temple, the veil, the experience with Christ. There's a lot in there, okay? And isn't it so interesting that probably in their mind, they're like, we've never seen anything like this before except it would have reminded them of the very same Moses, that when he was with God, God gave a manifestation to the people to know this guy was with God. And isn't it interesting that in an environment where Stephen's being accused of being anti-God, God gives a unique sign that shows his pleasure and his endorsement of Stephen that would have been uniquely recognized by those making accusations against him. And he has absolute peace. I will tell you, if you follow Jesus, there's going to be some great times. and There's going to be some really, 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 really challenging, tough times. Keith and Tammy went through a really tough time, a really dark time. James and Chelsea have been through a tough time. I'm not going to start outing everybody, but for whatever reason, I know that the, the pregnancy journey in this church, for whatever reason, God just brought so many people together that have been in the highs and the very lows of what it's like to go after God to have children. But the beautiful thing is that even in this moment, he experiences the peace and the presence of God. Why? Because he's being 100% obedient to God in that moment. And I promise you this. When under fire, if you remain obedient, God will let you experience his presence and peace. He will not abandon you. He will not forget about you. Let me pray over you this morning. I want to give an opportunity for anyone who is ready today to commit their life to Jesus Christ to do so right now. My question is, have you done that? Have you surrendered control of your life to Jesus? Have you confessed your belief in him? 
Have you received forgiveness from your sins? That, my friend, is the only way to have a relationship with God. We talked about earlier, you are not able to make yourself acceptable enough to God, and God doesn't ask you to make yourself acceptable enough to him. You cannot come as you are not or as you want to be. The only way you can come to God is exactly as you are. It's the only way you can come to him. And the only way you can come to God is in Jesus, with Jesus, on his resume, based on his payment. When he says to his father, Phil Nauer is absolutely guilty. We make no dispute at the charges against him. He did everything. He did everything he's accused of doing and far worse. And all the things he should have done, he didn't do those. He's guilty, father. Here is payment, Jesus is saying to God for you today. Here is his payment paid in full in my blood. God is saying, I accept that payment for Phil's sins. And what Jesus is asking his father for you today is, God, will you please give Phil or whoever it may be, will you please give them justice? It would be unjust for you to extract two payments from one person. He's not just asking, he's not really asking for mercy for you, he's asking for justice. Because your, your debt has been paid in full. And if you will just accept that, receive that, surrender control to him, you will experience the joy of freedom in Jesus. How do I have that, Pastor? Simple prayer I'm going to lead you in right now. It's about admitting, believing, and choosing. ABC. If you're ready to pray that prayer, you can, you can pray that prayer from your lips to God's ears right where you are right now. A simple prayer that says, Dear Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I've been living life by my own sense of right and wrong. And I recognize I owe you. I deserve punishment. And I need to be saved today. So to that end, I confess my belief in you, Jesus. That you lived a sinless life. I believe you died on the cross as my substitute and my place. I believe you rose from the dead and that you're alive today. And that your resurrection is the proof that your father received your payment over my sin, that it satisfied my debt. I confess my belief in those things today. I receive forgiveness from you. I invite you to come and live and make your home inside of me. And I choose to surrender to your leadership in my life, to your lordship. I step off of the throne of my life and I invite you to sit in its place. Welcome into my life, Jesus. Teach me how to echo you. In your name I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.